Borak Dog Earthlets. My name is Conrad, and this is the 12th episode of Space Spinner Reaction. Podcast we try to make sense of the UK's own classic comic action. Three issues at a time. This issue we're covering action for October 1976, issues 34 through 36. This episode, Dredger is underground. Hookjaw is in the channel. The kids are on fire. And it's snowing on the Russian front. And besides the actual action, this episode we've got a special guest host, friend of the show, Zane. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. All right, good to be back. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we had you on the show for the 1986-2080 um, annual. Glad to have you mm-hmm. back here as we near the end of action. And thanks for mm-hmm. coming just on short notice, for sure. Um, yeah. I know it's you- good to be here. Oh, thanks. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I keep interrupting you. I'm no, so no, sorry. No, no, no. Please go ahead. I, 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 I talk enough. Happy to have other voices. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Was, oh, yeah. And uh, I, I, start, I started trying to look up some stuff about action, and everything that came up was action comics. So I was like, oh, let's see what's going on. Uh, Superman, Batman. I'll, I'll would, yeah. It's, I'll 100% <laughs> say it's very difficult to Google. You got to put like action UK and stuff. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, one's much more famous than the other one, unfortunately. But how are you finding action? I know, uh, unlike a lot of my guests so so, so far, who's who, who have been sort of English, maybe a little older, who who actually sort of have some some firsthand experience or just sort of reflected experience. For you, I think you, you've mostly come to action just through the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true, a hundred percent. And how are you finding these uh, ridiculous uh, uh, boys comics of the late seventies? <laughs> I, I I'm honestly like stunned uh, at a lot of some of the. Uh, some of the like the death stuff it's like just yeah. so blatant so obviously blatant it's like yeah and hook jaw just killed everybody oh yeah, well that's just, just great bit, <laughs> bit that kid's legs off it doesn't even matter you know yeah definitely <laughs> this comic is just like intense um it reminds me of the stuff i used to do when i was in uh grade school <laughs> yeah it's very much got has that sense of like like kids telling bloody stories <laughs> For sure. Exactly. Oh my gosh, I was terrible when I was in uh, grade school. I, I I drew my own really like intense death related comics about video game characters and people I knew, and I was like, why did I do that? I think it's just. I think you just have to get it out. I think I think it's just a natural thing, honestly. I mean, I yeah. feel like it's the same itch that's being scratched by action. You know, mm-hmm. it is really an interesting thing with the violence. I feel like. In later years, like into 2000 AD, there's they've, there's like there's lessons learned about how much violence they can show and like do in the comics, mm-hmm. and it's it's very much all stuff that they learned because of action, you know. A lot of like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> After Le- I read some of the letters pages and stuff, and it's like wow, <laughs> it's like this is really hitting hard. Yeah. some of these kids. It's really like I mean this. Like the the comic does have a lasting impact, I think. Um, you know, with like there's a there's a big book about it that that um this guy uh, assembled like ten years after action was was canceled that has a lot of like memories of people who read it and stuff. That's really great. Um, and I've used a lot of it for, for, for my research for the comic actually. So that's been really great. It's it's, it's definitely stuck with people, and that's why yeah. it's always sort of the opening leg of any story of 2000 AD is talking about action as well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. So let's get to it. Oh wait, no. But but before we actually start, I should say that I think I've I, I miscounted actually because um, these aren't quite the final issues of action. Um, mm-hmm. The last pre-ban issue is number thirty-seven for October twenty-third, and so I'll have coverage of that one up soon. We'll, I'll probably mm-hmm. do something with like the last issue of action, and then 
go to like 38 and see what happens after the ban when it comes back in December and then maybe do the last issue or something like that to sort of talk about where, where it ends up. But I just want to let everybody know still more uh, pre-ban action in the pipe, but we're th- this is the last set of three for sure. Yeah. All yeah. right. Very excited. So thanks so much for coming along with me on this as we go to story one, Dredger. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so after a few issues of uh, – so Dredger written by uh, Kelvin Gosnell. And after a few issues of, of having new stuff starting the uh, start in action, it's nice to get Dredger back in the front of the uh, comic here where it belongs. We open in the South Atlantic as the HMS Daedalus, uh, the uh, nuclear submarine, fires one of its missiles. Oh, it's a huge deal. The the radio, the radio communications have been jammed so they can't self-destruct it and uh, – British Harrier jets are forced to shoot it down before it can land. Oh, no. Why has it happened? There's evidence of tampering, and only two men can find the answer. Breed and drink out. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, we see aboard the sub uh, that Dredger shows up. He's he's wrapped his belt around his fist, and he's got orders that, that says he has complete control of the sub. And he basically just grabs one of the uh, gunnery mates and just starts kicking the shit out of him. It's really, you know, good. <laughs> Good investigation stuff here. <laughs> he always gets his man. Always. Listen, you know, that's how it goes. Um, <laughs> after the beatings, they decide to do some investigation work. You know, that's the order. <laughs> um, it, it seems like this was actually a smarter way to go because they immediately check personnel records and sees and, and see that uh, one of the mates on the ship was born in a was born in Hong Kong and his parents were, were, were kidnapped and killed by the uh, by, by, by the Chinese army. And the, mm-hmm. they plot the course of the missile that was fired, and it was going to land in a in a Peking or a Beijing, as we call it now. So basically, you know, it clearly points to this guy. Um, mm-hmm. They he uh, had the tools, so he yeah, decided to do it. Definitely. And what I love about uh, about action in these stories just being three pages long is that there's not even like a mystery about it. Really, they like confront him, and he says, "Yeah, it was me." And then he throws open <laughs> a hatch on the sub and just starts flooding with water. So this is the problem, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's intense, too. That water just knocks out Breed. Is it Breed that gets knocked out right there? I think it's the ship's captain that's knocked out. Oh, this out. captain. Okay. But yeah. one way or another, like, Breed and Dredger have to escape this sub sort of as it, like, they they, they manage to, like, seal it off so the sub itself isn't in, in massive danger, but they do have to, like, blast the, uh like, but the section they're in is full of water and it's got to be blasted out. So it's like, oh, man, like, you know, this is going to be real dangerous. And they kind of get – they get blown out the side of the sub. They have to swim to the surface and stuff like that. It's pretty awesome. Um, eventually, though, they get uh, – th- they swim to safety and they get picked up by the sub on the deck. Dredger orders everyone away except for Breed, the captain, the suspect, and himself. And he sends the suspect to death and just karate chops him in the neck and kills him. <laughs> The best part. He's <laughs> just like, oh, this, the the face, the look on his face is just like, I've been karate chopped, and that's it. He's <laughs> just done. It's ridiculous. This this dredger and then a probationer, I feel like, really needs some like kids don't try this at home, like uh, <laughs> like messaging. Because you're gonna find that doesn't work in real life. Yeah, but like, I feel like, I feel like. This is going to get some kids' throats chopped, like, on the schoolyard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what Ooh, I'm trying man. to say, you know? Which is bad times, even if it doesn't kill you, you know? Right. That's like, the intent. Got to be careful out there, you know? 
Um, but speaking of awesome things, since Redger, um, at a, uh, at a government office at Whitehall, like, like a, the foreign office gets a package, they open it up. It's a bloody severed head. Oh no. Yeah. That <laughs> it's, was intense. It's super intense. The, the head is of Carruthers. There are men in Brussels there to set up the UK side of some oil talks. And the fact that his, he's been, his head has been cut off doesn't bode well for those talks. Um, luckily, they got one man to guard the foreign secretary when he goes to Brussels. Dredger! <laughs> <laughs> I should have guessed. Oh, you never know, you know. Uh, Dredger and Breed are guarding the foreign secretary. They, you know, make sure that he doesn't come to harm. Straight off the plane, there's like a press conference and Dredger beats up a reporter that seemingly just came to answer questions for no reason at all. He doesn't explain he seems himself. He just beat everybody up. I mean, you know, like we're lucky he's not just shooting them, like to be fair. You know? That's true. <laughs> like I was going to make my classic, uh, what, what all you have is a hammer. The world looks like a nail metaphor, but like Dredger's mm. got a magnum as well as his fists, you know, so you got to like, count your blessings, yeah. I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at least he chose, right? Yeah. <laughs> Later at the hotel, Dredger spots a would be intruder. He like goes after him. He, he bursts through someone else's hotel room to do it, which I always like. It's got a very uh, commando feel to it. And then mm-hmm. confronts this assassin as he's climbing a rope up the side of this building and shoots the rope, sending that guy falling to his death. All right. Even- yeah, that was some skill. <laughs> it's real, you know, you, you'd think you just shoot the guy, but no, like Dredger lets the ground take care of this kill, I guess. It just makes it a little more intense. Yeah. Then yeah. it's not Dredger's fault. It's the ground's fault. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, needing to get to the roof quickly, Dredger takes the most obvious route, which is, of course, to climb the rope as well. He gets to the roof and finds another assassin there, but Breed's taking care of him, but Breed's been shot in the leg. Oh, no! no. It's real, you know. Listen, Breed passes out from this, which I feel like he should be made of sterner, sterner stuff, but whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Breed runs back down to the hotel room on high alert and stops a hotel maid from delivering room service. And the secretary's like, Mwah! I say, Dredger, most irregular. Mwah! When the, <laughs> the, the, the maid pulls a knife, you know, she's got one of those domed, like, food things. And from under mm-hmm. it, she pulls a knife and puts it to the, secretary's ha- head forcing dredger to surrender okay that was okay i have to talk about that panel really quick yeah. because that i can't even tell what's actually really happening in that panel <sighs> yeah i mean this is definitely like the problem with some of these action comics is they've got to tell sometimes like pretty involved stories in like three pages and because mm-hmm. of and since space at a premium a lot of times these um panels get real small and like, because there's also probably tight deadlines, they get real uh, hard to figure out what's happening. <laughs> like, the, Definitely. the the art's real cramped and, like, it's hard to tell. Plus, like, honestly, especially for some of these issues, the scan isn't real – like, we're using the digital copies and the scan isn't really great. There's a lot of blur, especially in a – Right. I see. So, like, the gun is like in the left hand or something, but like the right hand is like crossing in front of his chest. It's hard to. Yeah, it's weird. But you know, she makes him drop his gun. That's the thing. Okay. But he's still got something in his hand, and she's like, "Show me what's in your hand." And oh, it's the reporter's pen from earlier, and he attacks her with it, and it's full of deadly cyanide gas. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All the attackers have now been dealt with. 
And he basically explains, like, yeah, I, I beat up that reporter because he had a, po- a real poison pen because it was, you know, full of d- deadly gas and stuff. I don't know why Dredger doesn't end on, like, a bad joke every time because that would be great. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this one was very, like, the best we could do, yeah, he just gets results, you know? We, we, we've had some where, like, they fight somebody, like, I, I guess the next one, they kind of fight in the sewers, and it's like, yeah, it's a dirty job, but no one's dirtier than Dredger, et cetera, you know? <laughs> but, yeah, they don't they don't button it as, as much as you'd like. I feel like that's a difference between a 1976 version of Dredger and, like, a 1987 version of Dredger. Uh, that's, a good, that's a good point. Yeah, there's still, like, technological advances in heroic one-liners that have to be made, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So finally for Dredger, some guys are dumping trash onto a barge in the Thames and they find a body. Oh, it's a very, very law and order kind of start here. You know, I've seen this on a lot of procedural police TV shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Insert the dun-dun right Absol- there. Absolutely. Yeah. So this guy was <laughs> a government agent and Dredger's on the case. Um, this guy was investigating a place called Scorzian Security, which is built like a bank and DI6 won our buddies to rob it. Luckily, Dredger knows a guy. He always does. And mm-hmm. uh, soon they're going through the sewers because that's what you do when you're a heroic comic book character. Always sewers time. They use a uh, a thermic lance, which is pretty awesome, to uh, to cut their way just through the side of the of, of the vault, like through the sewers. And inside, they grab some cash to make it look like a robbery and various documents for like rocket plans and troop deployments and other sort of spy stuff here. Like two birds, one stone. Always. You know, listen, might as well get some side pay for it. <laughs> An alarm goes off and the guards go to check things out. And our guys quickly escape. They go through the sewers but take a different route out than they did back in. And that seems like a good idea because the baddies have found their car. Luckily, there's a nearby garbage truck, you know, sort of uh, a, a kismet here, and uh, they manage to steal that, and when the Scorsians give chase, Dredger dumps the truck's load on them, just, you know, revenge for that dead agent in the garbage at the start of the story. Yeah. And, and they escape. Uh, a, a rare, smooth, nearly bloodless job for Dredger. <laughs> like, there was half a half a car chase, but bar- like barely any violence in this one, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it was more of a um, uh, James Bondy spy stuff. A yeah. little bit more. Yeah, like, yeah, it was it was it was more a straight up heist. You know, no, gone are the days of shooting the top of a helicopter so the rotor comes off and crashes in and kills a bunch of people. You know, that's what uh. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> but doesn't that happen in one of these? <laughs> yeah, no, it did. That's what I'm saying. Like that's what I've come to expect. <laughs> you know, like with this one, it's like I I I. I have all this bloodlust and nothing to do what, do with it. Like, what am I going to do? You know. <laughs> I know. Have you ever heard of the um, the manga series called Golgo Thirteen? I think. Yeah, I, I. They were like early, like like at, like Nintendo games based on it as well, which I think I think is more spy stuff, right? Oh yeah, definitely. It's it's like Japan's version of uh, James Bond, kind of mixed mm-hmm. up with like the Lupin the Third style stuff. Oh, nice. Um, but it's like all about instead of like I don't know I, I've only read a little bit of it, but it's more like he it's focused on like his uh, him like getting the girl stuff and mm-hmm. then just like killing all these people. I don't yeah. I, on it, I have, it's been a while since I've read it, but it really reminded me of it for a definitely. Little bit. Yeah, it's all this all this smooth um, like spy stuff that that's really cool. You know, just sort of like having these missions. There's bad dudes. It's often often exotic ladies involved as well, you know. It's a good good yeah. smorgasbord for action for sure. Yeah, and I do like that. Dredger is a one off every time too. 
Yeah, there's at least for these three issues. Def, yeah, there's very few connected, like 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 two part Dredger stories. You know, he gets in and gets out. That's you know, listen, like say what you want about <laughs> Dredger, he gets results. You know, <laughs> I can't argue with that. Yeah. And 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 speaking of uh, exotic, dangerous ladies, it's story two, probationer, um, <laughs> probationer written by Stuart Wales and. Last time we met Dave Brockman, who uh, uh, a kid in Birmingham who's on probation for a candy shop heist. He's been robbed in. He's been roped into robbing the local chip shop owner by local tough Clem Slater, who's got like blackmail on him from a truck that was stolen to take his sick mom to the hospital. There, there's a lot going on with probationer just sort of in the backstory. Yeah, <laughs> we sort of is. talked about this before the show, but the basic idea is just Clem's got blackmail on uh, Dave, and because Dave's on probation, he can't um, he, he can't sort of come clean to the cops. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, last time they broke in and Clem hit the store owner over the head with a hatchet, like the back the the dull side of the hatchet, and seems to have killed him, but actually just knocked him out. Classic comic book uh, cliffhanger here. Um, but they got to go, so Clem run, r- runs away, and and because the owner isn't dead, uh, Dave pretends to have found him while he was unconscious. Like, oh, I noticed that the window had been broken open, and I came to investigate, and you were knocked out, like that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. It seems to work. Like, the cops show up and buy his story, and, uh, you know, yeah, they sort of go with that, and the main cop is like, oh, I believed you about the candy shop heist thing, too. Like, I'm glad you're keeping your nose out of trouble. And he's like, oh, I was telling the truth then but i'm lying now oh what tangled webs we leave we weave you know (laughs) it's tough you know uh later dave visits his mom in the hospital and she's like in a wheelchair and sort of doing better and then on his way home he gets braced by slater who once again forces him to do some crimes doing crimes real bad this time he's helped by his uh, beehived uh, girlfriend gloria who's got this comb that's got one real sharp end like a prison shank or something yeah. it's real awesome she's pretty hardcore <laughs> oh definitely listen gloria's ride or die for life we all know this mm-hmm. <laughs> and she wears a choker you know she's serious yeah evil for sure um, <laughs> the, the evilest 90s fashion statement <laughs> <laughs> but uh so that night more crime all right uh clem cl- they're, they're breaking into a place clem climbs a drain pipe using gloria's belt to like help him do it he we see him actually again pretty visibly like like use a pen knife to force open a window like the way you do it in real life that's pretty pretty vivid descriptions of how to do crimes for kids in these comics <laughs> i didn't even think about that you're right oh my gosh <laughs> i mean because like last episode they showed you how to like use a glass cutter to like cut a hole in the window and like open it oh, that way yeah there's like <laughs> like there's crimes in these stories you know <laughs> teach them while they're young absolutely but so he forces open the window. He throws down a, a rope for Dave to climb up, which, man, if I was in a c- criminal conspiracy that required me to climb a rope, I would not do very well, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, climbing a rope is difficult in any form without knots in it. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're like under the pressure of also like, you know, being, you know, being blackmailed into felonies. Uh, inside the building, they snag a, a cash box, but the cops have shown up. Uh, Clem doesn't care. He he shoots one of the police officers with an air pistol, like right in the eye. Oh, geez! And then tosses the the, the the gun to Dave as he and Gloria just sort of peace out and make their escape. 
Oh my gosh, what this is bad moves on Slater's part. Yeah, this guy's a jerk, man. I do love the. Uh, it, it feels very English for them to just have air pistols, though. You know, it's very. Um, I don't know. It feels almost quaint or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> is it air gun like a? Is it like a airsoft gun? Yeah, something. Yeah, or okay. like a, a '70s version of that. Like it's not a. It, it doesn't fire a real bullet or anything, but I believe it. You know, it like stings it. It it, it stings if it gets you, and if it gets you in the eye, that that's probably still bad news. Uh, yeah. <laughs> D- Dave and Gloria head out. Dave's stuck in the apartments as the cops bust in. No, no. Yeah, it's real bad. Thinking fast. Dave hides behind a door. And as the cops enter, he smashes one in the face with it. And then jumps out, I guess, another open window that was in the apartment. That, this part isn't clear. But he jumps out <laughs> this window, lands on an awning, and runs away. They didn't get a chance to say his, see his face, so he's free and clear. Of course they didn't. <laughs> you know. <laughs> It was One, dark out. Uh, yeah, it's fine. One uh um like continuity thing here too is that um there's like this detective that's been friendly to Dave and he's with the cop in that not in uh one issue and he's he's got this like plaid suit but he he deplaids in between issues, you know. It's just, you know, no one wants to draw plaid. Anyway, uh back home. <laughs> <laughs> Dave's mom is back from the hospital and Wants to know where he was all night. He makes a bad excuse, as you do. And she kind of goes full, like, Aunt May and Spider-Man, basically. Like, oh, like, I need you around. If something were to happen to you, I'd have to go to an old folks' home. And that would kill me figuratively and perhaps literally, you know. It's real tough for Dave. Uh, It makes you think that maybe this is what she's like every day. (laughs) Yeah, like, even when he – it seems like even if he doesn't have the pressure of blackmail, his mom's still pretty – he's still got a rough time dealing with his mom, you know. It's like, yeah, you know, Dave, I can't cook for myself. I'll starve to death if you're not here. Oh, my gosh. All right. Mom. Ah, shakes fist. <laughs> <laughs> but so Dave's had enough of this stuff, all right? He uh, he decides he's going to go admit everything to the cops. But when he does, he sees a cruelly drawn headline saying that the co- <laughs> that the, the, cop, sh- the, uh, sh- the cop is going to be okay with minor injuries. And he's like, well, if the, if the cop's not blind, then I'm not going to admit to anything. That's BS. Um <laughs> I got that's front page news. <laughs> I mean, I wonder, like, I don't know how, like, okay, like, here's here's me, like, not being, like, 50, where I don't know how, like, those newsstands where someone's shouting extra on the side yeah, of the street yeah. works, you know? Daily like, news, not yeah. hourly news, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, so, like, th- this could be something that's just, like, a big update, and so someone's written it, like, by hand on the side of the newsprint thing, and it's not. Uh, that's a good point. It could be headline. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I don't, again, I, I don't, that, that's me making it up, I guess. <laughs> but Dave's, I believe uh, it. Yeah. Dave's had enough of this blackmail. So he goes to the racetrack to confront Slater and just starts kicking the crap out of him. Real cathartic yeah. here, you know. Yeah, go Dave in a public place, too. Yeah, sucker punches him, like, you know, gets on top of him, starts grounding, pounding. It's excellent, you know. Um, this was before punching people in the face was illegal. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, you know, it's a, it's a different day, you know, where you see some kids having a scuff, ha- having a big fight in the parking lot of a racetrack, and you're like, ah, just let them fight it out. It's fine. Boys will be boys, you know? Yeah. Um, plus, th- they can handle themselves, because as Dave's doing pretty good, Gloria straight up stabs him in the back with her, co- with her comb knife. <laughs> That's like Which Chekhov's is- gun. Yeah, Chekhov's, <laughs> Chekhov's comb shank. Um, <laughs> Slater gets him in an arm bar and then uh, kicks him in the gut when he knocks him down. And for all this, he's going to make Dave come with him to steal some stereo gear from a car in the parking lot. 
But again, as we see him, Jimmy opening the door lock on this car with like a real mm-hmm. close up of him doing it and stuff. The car's owner shows up and grabs him and he's taking him to the cops. Oh, no. Oh, this is actually. Slater. Oh, yes, because <laughs> maybe Dave's finally free of Slater because he's going to be arrested. Yeah. There's a real funny opening in the third issue as Gloria demands Dave help Slater. And he's like, I'm not doing that. What are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) You guys are are blackmailing me. All right. I don't have any loyalty to you as a blackmailee, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's like Gloria doesn't even have any leverage over him. (laughs) No, she she wasn't even there or whatever. Um, However, so Dave just sort of walks off. And Slater can help himself anyway, so he didn't need him because he manages to escape the car owner. He leads the cop on a chase through the race through the racetrack across the actual track, which is a, a dog racing track, I should mention. And the cop is uh, swarmed by greyhounds, which is pretty – honestly pretty great. Like there's a big puppy pile and all like the trainers have to come out and grab leashes and stuff like that. <laughs> like seems decent. All the trainers have uh, bowler hats. <laughs> of course. I feel like that – yeah, that's like the official like gear, you know. You gotta, and like, trench coats. Yeah, it's very fancy. <laughs> You know, <laughs> uh, so later Dave meets with his probation officer because all of these stories are like finish off the first story, meet with an authority figure that tells him that they trust him as he's lying, and then afterwards Slater shows up and brings him into a new crime. You know, that's the mm-hmm. that's the formula for probationer. He has no choice but to join him. <laughs> well, of course, yeah. This time Slater shows up in a truck. And tells him that, uh, you know, now all the cops in Birmingham are looking for him. So he's going to escape by heading to Rio. Just like Ronald Biggs, who was this big famous British thief guy, did the great train robbery of 1963. Although, I don't know. I don't know, like, you know, attempted theft. Oh, no. Eh. Like, I was going to say attempted theft of a car stereo doesn't seem like something that all the cops in Birmingham would be after you for. But maybe they put together that he shot the airsoft gun or something like that. I don't know. Uh, I mean, he did run from that cop at the, the yeah. Greyhound thing. So, One way I mean, or yeah. One way or another, though, uh, Slater's got to get money and get out of town. And to do that, he's got a truck full of high-class suits. Oh, yeah. This is going to work. Basically, he wants Dave to sell all these suits on the street. It's going to be a, a great plan. I don't see what could go wrong. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Gloria wants her man to try on one of the suits. So he does, and oh, they're real bad suits. Um, <laughs> it's, just, it's a good dork. <laughs> like, super baggy. They got a weird, um, like, what do you call that? Embroidery on the chest and stuff like that. Uh, These are not yeah. high-class suits. Real uh, bad. Like s- high-class sleepwear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much more pajama-y than you'd like. Um, and it's even worse because Clem borrowed 500 quid from loan sharks to buy them. Oh, no. But Clem's got an idea to get the money back, and Dave's going to help him because of the blackmail and stuff. Anyway, let's get going. (laughs) Next time, Clem ain't so hot as he thinks he is. And that's really true. Like, I feel like, man, we just haven't seen a lot of successful, like, despite this blackmailing, Clem's been real unsuccessful with these crimes, you know? Like... I don't know. This feels a lot like Play Till You Drop, that that other blackmail story, where I feel like the cops might understand if you sort of laid it all out to them and, like, it gave them clam and stuff. It just seems like he doesn't have any reason to go along with it. Like, he invites him up to the truck. He's like, hey, we got a job to do. And he's like, oh, all right. And just gets yeah, in the truck. Definitely. <laughs> it's like, just run the other way. Yeah, like he, keeps, he gives up very easily, for sure. It's ridiculous. Get some backbone, Dave. You're never going to get off probation if you don't do that, you know? For sure. 
But speaking of guys who do show backbone, yeah. Story three, Hell's Highway. Writer Jack Adrian, artist Mike White. All right. So uh, speaking of blackmail also, I guess, uh, blackmailed government truckers Danny and Steve are transporting, were transporting some killers to take out a band of Hell's Angels, but they've run afoul of some mutated crazy uh, dudes in the Ozarks, and now those guys are taking out the bikers. Oh, it's real bad. <laughs> one problem starts another. Yeah, I guess one Yeah, one <laughs> problem can so- or, or solves another for that matter. Solves one. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. Um, you know... <laughs> The, the the guys basically look on in horror just as these like insane people kill these bikers and are like let's <laughs> let's get out of here this is ridiculous. Um, they head to a nearby town and um, report in to agency boss Hartwell, who's just the most evil government guy you could imagine. Um, he says the National Guard won't get there in time, so instead these guys have to keep track of the crazies themselves. And the local sheriff lets them use his chopper and they sort of fly around to observe the area. And they see the thing we saw last episode was basically that a bunch of uh, of uh, skull-marked barrels have fallen into the nearby water supply. Presumably have leaked into the, uh, into the town of the crazies like water and stuff. Mm. Um, but suddenly, as they're flying over, one of these crazies pops out and shotguns the chopper, sending it crashing. Whoa. <laughs> Critical hit. <laughs> Seriously. They take that one shot, takes it down. It's awesome. Very uh, Bill Savage style helicopter shooting down with the shotgun. Yeah, there. that's <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Luckily, absolutely. Luckily, Steve and the chopper pilot managed to escape the crash without much much incident. They run to hide a nearby house, but soon they're under siege from all these crazies. Things are looking bad when suddenly Steve or I think Danny, one of them, shows up with um in their big rig and basically crashes into the wreckage of the helicopter, sending it straight into the cra- into the crazies, incapacitating them. And once they're downed, they come out with big, big barrels of trank of trank gas and knock them all out. Uh, soon the brass is there to wrap everything up, and this heart and Agent Hartwell seems pretty stoked about this unintended side effect of the nerve gas chemical waste that was dumped. Like, oh, being able to make people homicidal maniacs. This could be useful for my nefarious government schemes. I do like how that wrapped up. <laughs> He's super evil. It's real. It's it's very X Files kind of ending. Like you kind of get to an end, and the government sort of swoops in and is going to be using it for nefarious purposes. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. Next up, it's 3 a.m. Danny and Steve break into a Washington, D.C. Uh, truck depot. They're hunting around in the dark. When the lights go up, it's Hartwell. They were looking for the photos that the government is using to blackmail them, but Hartwell's too quick. He sort of keeps them on his person. You know, much better blackmailing by Hartwell than by uh, than, than by Clem, for sure. Mm. But he's got a new job for them. They'll be transporting Cuban guerrilla fighters from Jacksonville to the Florida Keys. But when they arrive, they see that these gorilla guys are looking pretty old and tired. They're old and busted gorillas. It's real sad. Uh, their leader, Miguel Valdez, thanks them for their help. And the guys are, of course, skeptical about their commie fighting abilities. But suddenly a truck cr- drives past and shoots up the place. And, like, Valdez saves uh, Danny. So, you know, he, like, owes him his honor. You know, like, Yeah, I love this. These two trucks colliding in near each other looks really good. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. This leads to a really awesome truck um, car chase, like smashed into each other and stuff. Uh, yeah. The bad guys toss a grenade into the truck. But Steve, <laughs> apparently, as the grenade is in the air, managed to grab the, the, the truck's fi- fire extinguisher. <laughs> uses that to shoot the grenade back into the cab of the other truck, exploding it. That was awesome. It's real awesome. <laughs> 
<laughs> Super skill, man. I, but the problem is that the explanations, like in in the, in the narration box, was real small. I was like hunting around, like what did the when did they get like a like a a, a water cannon? What's going yeah. on? Yeah, <laughs> using the fire extinguisher, yeah. fires the grenade back into the pen, and they're just like, wow, I can't believe that even happened. <laughs> it, was, it is pretty cool. Uh, so, later, they're on their way to the coast. The guy stopped to get 22 coffees and 22 sandwiches when uh, the truck is stolen. Oh, geez. They call Hartwell to see what to do. And Hartwell's like, it's fine. Just let him go. Apparently, <laughs> these gorillas are being uh, sacrificed to improve U.S.-Cuban relations. And they were old and no good anyway. So whatever. Like, oh, real, real tough stuff here. Oh, uh, well. Yeah. But since Valdez saved Danny's life at that shootout, he's not going to let this stand. They're going after him. All right. Yeah. They go to steal a car, but before they can, they're stopped by some goons from the Cuban government. Ah, Cuban goons. <laughs> it looks like this whole thing was a setup. Like they were just going to straight up hand these guys over to the Cuban government at the, at the Florida Keys. And the government and, and the Cuban guys are like, yeah, but we took them early, so it's fine. Like, you know, save you guys some legwork. We'll, we'll return your truck after we've murdered all these guys in the freaking swamps, you know? And <laughs> Just to borrow it. <laughs> it's, you know, like, diplomacy's crazy, dude. That's my, le- <laughs> that's my lesson. Um, but Danny and Steve, not stoked about this. And when that's clear, one of the Cubans pulls a gun. But quick-thinking Danny throws a brick at him. And the goon shoots his own buddy by mistake. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> they then steal those Cuban guys' truck. They uh, they they run over the remaining Cuban uh, uh, agent. And again, pretty graphic picture of a guy getting run down by a car here. And then, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like he's like, you know, he's like a pavement. He, he's sidewalk hamburger, buddy. <laughs> he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> and they go after them. It's pretty hard because the truck they've stolen isn't as fast as the rig in Naples, Florida. They stop for directions and learn there's a hurricane coming, but they're catching up on the rig. They don't have any weapons. I guess they, they've had them before, but not this time. So they can improvise and instead take a shortcut through the swamp. And Steve jumps on the truck of the rig. Um or on the roof of the rig, I should say, from a tree, and then is able to take out both the Cuban drivers. It was real good. Good, uh, you know, like top of the car or, or, or top of the truck cab, take out the drivers. He like, you know, hits one and then makes the other one jump out of the side of the car and stuff like that. Excellent mm-hmm. stuff. But now they freed the gorillas and the gorillas are like, no, like the U.S. government can always be trusted. Like I can't, they would double cross us. Um, Never. Yeah. <laughs> But as they say this, some government dudes like show up to straight up G-Men with submachine guns and they're like, oh, right. they double crossed us. <laughs> we did it again. <laughs> and they like tell the Cubans to get back on the truck. And like the head G-Man's like, uh, Hartwell knew that you guys would get soft on this one. So now we're going to take care of you for good. And cliffhanger next time the swamp reveals its horror. I'm liking Hell like Hell's Highway is pretty good this time, I think. I don't know. Yeah, it's getting pretty intense. Like I kinda like, I like Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was gonna say there's a lot of uh there's a lot of action in this last one, uh for sure. Definitely uh guy getting run over, guy getting stomped on, yeah, people getting beat pretty good. Definitely, yeah. And I, I, I actually like this um this Cuban story as well, like just the double crossing and stuff like that. It's real good. I, or I think it's real good to sort of like uh like messy CIA politics kind of stuff or something like that, you know, where where mm-hmm. everybody's a bad guy and just only these honest truckers can handle it, you know. 
Yeah, it's definitely getting pretty deep. I'd like to see how it continues. Yeah, well, you know, it's going to be funny because I don't know what's going to happen, especially because we're like, we got one more issue within the band. I don't know what what's going to happen after that for sure. <laughs> but speaking of um, one man standing against a corrupt system, or I guess two men in Hell's Highway, but one man now. <laughs> It's story for Death Game 1999. Right. Uh, Let's get into this. Yeah, writer Tom Tully, artist, cost of the Gioletti Agency. So, Joe Taggart, uh, former football star, now star of uh, Spinball and a prisoner guy, whatever. He's been locked in solitary, in the solitary confinement wing of the prison where he's forced to play the deadly game of spinball and the deadly criminals housed in there have now been let out of their cells by the evil warden and are trying to kill Joe. Cause he's getting too famous and they need, and like the government needs him taken out. And so, you know, they've got to make it look like an accident or there'll be a riot, basically. Standard prison stuff, I guess, or prison game oh, stuff. That's one thing I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> I'll talk about it later. <laughs> so this, this one guy that we met last episode, the deadly Cyclops attacks Joe. He's able to hold him off for a moment, but two more appear to threaten him. And he kind of like, you know, runs to a window and finds another prisoner to ask for help. And then he's under attack. And he's got to like fight these guys. And there's a lot of like, you know, prison fighting and stuff like that. They're going crazy, grabbing brooms to use his weapons, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the other prisoners are trying to save Joe from behind the walls of solitary as, you know, this is another one of these, uh, when all you have is a hammer, all the world looks like a nail. But when all you have is spinball, the world looks, you know, there's only spinball based solutions. In this case, <laughs> they run to the spinball equipment thing to like, to like use the bike cannons to uh, bust open the doors of solitary to let, uh, Joe out. They manage to do this. They burst in, find Joe at the bottom of a pile of cons. They, they've saved him, but he's in a bad way. Even if he isn't dead, he's played his last game of spinball. Um, you know, but we go to the next episode and the prisoners like drive the solitary guys back to their cell. And honestly, Joe's looking a lot better, which is good. You know, he sort of recovered in that last few minutes. It only took one week of magazine print. You know, you get a <laughs> chance to totally rest. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, it's a, it's very much a, uh, you know, uh, a symptom of these cliffhangers. You got to say something's bad, but then you get back to the meat of the story and things are less bad, you know? Um, <laughs> so they carry Joe out of the prison and the guards are like, oh, you guys like broke into the solitary. You're all on punishment detail. And that forces Joe to head to his to the infirmary on his own power. Luckily, he's recovered enough to be able to walk and stuff. At the infirmary, the doctor prepares him an injection, but Joe's real paranoid since it just throws something in the doctor's face and steals a bunch of bandits and antiseptic and has his wounds dressed by his fellow prisoners. <laughs> yeah, without any proof, he's just he's just paranoid and attacks a guy, which, I mean, I get it. He's in a prison that's trying to kill him, so... Yeah, I mean, it seems like a safe assumption, you know, when someone walks towards you very confidently with, like, a needle, you know, and just kind of says, like, <laughs> yes, this will help your infections. Like, oh, geez. <laughs> I know to be wary next time that happens to me. <laughs> you know, just in case. I mean, you, listen, you never know when, you, when, when, you, when you'll need these lessons. That's why it's good to have them. You know? <laughs> um, so, Yo-Yo uh, Divine, who's sort of uh, Joe's uh, lieutenant, like does some black market trading to get some, uh, I think some medicine or something just to, so he doesn't get any infections from his wounds. Um, and soon Joe's back on the team and they're all getting ready to go for the final game against the Alcatraz assassins. 
In the ensuing time, they've managed to assemble a whole new team, which has denied me of a uh, recruitment montage, and I'm really angry about it. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I believe it. Man. I just want a bunch of people coming through, and you got to see like what their skills are, and it's like they some of them are real bad, and it's funny, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's the best part. It's like, um, oh, what's that movie called? I mean, With a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of movies. You're right, <laughs> even exactly. you know, even Rocky had a montage, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, anyhow, they've got a new team, but they and they start trading. But Warden Smales is like had enough of this. He gets underhanded, so they he sabotaged this uh, mechanism of this uh, ball thrower. For spinball training, it's been ultra-powered. It starts blasting the T.O. and that explodes. And a third of the squad is injured or killed. And that means he'll be going to the game against the Assassins, a man short. Which is Will tough. they make it? Yeah, but don't worry, because head guard Kruger is happy to join the team and be right next to Joe during the game. Which is intimidating. <laughs> um, <laughs> before that, it's time to train, though. And Joe Taggart is not shy about hazing Kruger, firing spinballs at him, making him run around and stuff like that. Uh, Cougar's real pissed about this, and so he's gonna show that Taggart by Gar. Um, mean, meanwhile, evil Dr. Jekyll is working on an explosive device, and so he tells Taggart, basically, plant this in Taggart's bike, and he'll explode. So, stage is set for conspiracy. Meanwhile, <laughs> the cons are pissed about the exploding ball machine, they're swearing revenge and stuff, but Joe's like, hey guys, play it cool. If we win the next game, we'll all be free. And that's worth um, avoiding revenge for. You know, you guys be free even if I die in the process. You know, whatever. So very self-sacrificing. Yeah, I mean, Joe's very, you know, he's he's very heroic in this broken system for sure. I mean, you know, for someone who sort of like died or or, or who's in prison for sort of the questionable murder of a, of a spinball uh, ticket salesman, you know, he's still pretty honorable. <laughs> um at Alcatraz, which has been reopened as a maximum security prison, which as a um, – I used to live in San Francisco and I can tell you that whenever this happens in science fiction, I just laugh because there's no way it could possibly ever happen in real life. But it's still fun. Uh, <laughs> but at the uh, – on the island where there's a big crowd for the spitball game, it seems like most people are actually cheering for Taggart to win. He's become this big hero. And besides the government, Abe Creel, the captain of the Assassins, ain't happy about it. Do they broadcast these spinball games? Yeah, definitely. Like, it's like the biggest sport in the country, you know? Like, everybody watches it and stuff. It's real bread and circuses stuff. Yeah. Creel wants to win because he's going to the electric chair in two days if he does it. You know, he's definitely motivated. Um, A fight breaks out between them. And in the confusion, Kruger hides this bomb he's got in Taggart's bike. Real bad. An hour later, the game begins, and the teams are playing real hard, but Taggart is heading out on a bike primed to explode. Next oh, time. no. Oh, no. Next time, the assassination of Joe. <laughs> Guess Joe's going to get assassinated next time. I mean, we'll see. You know, I, I wonder how we'll turn this to his advantage, but I'm, I'm very, you know, good. Um, I, I do like the feeling of just things coming to a, to a pit, to, to a fever pitch here in a death game, you know, this threat that um they might actually win and go free or something like that you know it seems it's fun when these stories have kind of definite ends like a championship or something like that we can sort of work through and then be like all right like we finally made it although i'm interested to see how this is going to go 
with um, the future of action and stuff. You know how it goes. Everything's yeah. very like everything's kind of got a pal on, over it. I think just sort of knowing what happens in the future. You know, mm-hmm. and nothing is. I mean, I guess we could talk about this at the end a little yeah. bit. So I'll, I'll, I'll save the question for the end. I suppose. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you want me to say it now? <laughs> oh yeah, please let me know what's what's up. Just uh, remember is, stuff. So, so are they okay? Are they gonna like? cut a lot of stuff out of it when they when the ban happens or it, is it just continued um, and then they end it and then they start new stuff for some, the, after the ban it it sort of varies like like spinball comes back but it changes its name uh to spinball 1999 instead of death game 1999 and a lot of it's just that like violence gets ramped down um some of the plots change a little bit i forget if they if, if, if they get rid of some of this anti-government stuff from uh spinball i know like some of these stories get, have content change just to be a little bit less edgy and stuff like that as well as just remove a lot of the politics. Yeah, you know, there's there like there's some edgy stuff in these actions, and they sort of you know like there's a, after this they become very timid and try to be like, all right, like let's try not to make too many waves, you know. Got it. Um, but hey, yeah. So speaking of the future of action, just what's going on outside the comics? Let's go to non-stories, covers, editorials, action man, and money man. So, first up, uh, pro, uh, issue, I should say, geez, uh, 34. Action is a time bomb of tension. And this, uh, bomb-shaped cover shows kids rule Helm and Hookjaw on Hell's Highway about to explode. Um, again, this is stuff that's, v- I feel very, um, like whistling past the graveyard, just knowing how action's gonna end, you know, like it is kind of a time bomb, <laughs> you know. Inside Steve, uh, Nick McManus, the uh, the host of the comic, welcomes us and reminds us to send in vote cards about favorite stories. Letters include an action poem, a gamekeeper aunt, a kid using action for target practice, and some and someone counting the number of deaths so far at Hookshaw. They've got it at 28. <laughs> I disagree with this number. I think there might be more. Um, and an American <laughs> reader is, like, challenging Hookshaw. Like, take that shit to New York City, bro. Um, <laughs> Just eat everybody in New York, would you? Yeah. Um, Cyril Fletcher, the host of That's Life, is twit of the week. There's a comic about a wife that's uh, literally in a bag of nerves. And a guess what thing. Anyway, uh, and then this issue ends with no all questions. An action mouse comic where he's on vacation and a crab asks him for his autograph. But he thought that the crab thought it was Punch and Judy on stilts instead of action mouse. Get out of here. <laughs> then there's a, ma- a mani action device for a luxury TV appliance complete with a nosed based remote control auto body cleaners and tools to keep the old school TV uh, cool and a hammer to keep the picture looking right. I really love this one actually, just because it's such a 1976 version of television. Like, yeah, definitely. Like, like there's no actual re- remote control and you've got to have like a fan on like the transistors t- on the transistor tubes in the back of the TV to like keep it working and stuff. It's all this stuff that, like, even when I was a kid, you'd have to work with anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah. I do remember when I was younger at my grandma's house banging the side of the television to fix the picture. I mean, I feel like <laughs> the real problem with, like, modern technology that it's so it's so fragile that you can't bang it, you know? Yeah, and like, oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of that stuff is just sort of psychological, but it still feels good. You feel like you have some agency when the TV doesn't work. Just sort of smack it on the side and maybe it'll fix itself, you know? <laughs> 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 and then um this issue ends with a contest they did earlier where a, a reader gets to go uh, deep sea fishing with ken armstrong the author of hook jaw and they kind of went out off cornwall and just sort of caught some fish and stuff although 
part of me really wishes that a Pat Mills had had to go uh, um, instead. You know, the other father of British comics is sort of out on a boat with a kid all day. <laughs> so just image the two I would them. find funny. Yeah, he's sort of talking about <laughs> his early visions of slain or something like that. Um, but still pretty good. Uh, issue 35, a truck smashes just straight up through a crowd of people as hook, as a hell's highway keeps death on the road, which is a pretty violent cover, frankly. <laughs> I really like that cover. It that is nice good. Cover. Everyone's running real scared. It's awesome. Steve is pretty stoked about Kids Rule. A uh, letter includes a, uh, a, a a writer at boarding school with some Russian spy kids going there. Whoa. Um, there, there's an alarm clock prank, a dog that keeps licking this kid to wake him up, and a pretty cool Dredger picture. Although the lettering on the side where it says, like, Dredger next to the picture is um was not really well thought out by the uh, by the artist because you can see that the letters get smaller as it goes down the page so the last r is like half the size of like the of, of like the d because this is like like all right i'm drawing these letters oh my god i'm out of page you know you gotta plan ahead with stuff, you know? yeah. <laughs> uh, this is spoken as someone who's been in this situation many times in my youth <laughs> i can totally uh sympathize yeah. <laughs> um at the end of the issue, there's tank models for sale for under a quid, and Peter Falk is Twitter of the Week, which I don't like because I'm a huge Columbo fan. Um, All right. There's a maniac action for a mobile pancake tosser that's also a bike. So the the uh, writer basically imagines it as being for Meals on Wheels, where basically, you know, you've got like a, a row of houses full of like old people, um, and you just sort of like launch pancakes through their windows so they can eat. You know, it's good times. <laughs> <laughs> um there and then uh the issue ends with the first sports star feature we, we've had in a while actually which is a a profile of sort of a kid that's into some sport told in the first person this one's about alan bloomfield who plays american baseball and would actually go on to have a pretty good career in it he was inducted into the british baseball hall of fame in 2010 oh, wow which yeah, I mean, I didn't even know there was a British Baseball Hall of Fame, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, I had like, you know, like 300. Yeah, hopefully they have this page right next to his picture at the I British mean, Hall of Fame. I feel like it would be really cool. I mean, I, I know if I had one of these and then I went on to achieve in my sport, I would be like, I would like show it to people quite a bit. Like, it was written in the stars, you know. Has <laughs> <laughs> to keep this in my wallet and I show it to everybody. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. This one also has an Action Mouse comic where he's tightrope walking and he – uh Halfway across the wire, he sees Steve McMahon, this action man who's tightrope walking while spinning a plate on his finger and balancing stuff on his nose. And action, and a, and a action mouse smacks him inside the head with the with the with the bar he's using to balance. Like stick to your own stunts, McMahon. Let's get out of here. Uh. <laughs> I did like that one. Out of the three that we had to read, <laughs> yeah, th- this one's a good one for sure. Uh, in in issue thirty six, it's cold blooded murder on the Russian front, and Hellman is the coldest of all. Good, yeah. Hellman's, did yeah. good? Did they could they get away with doing the Nazi symbol on oh, yeah. comic books like that? I mean, you got to remember, like in a uh, in in like British comics is like especially at this point, British comics with a with a World War Two stuff is like American comics with like superhero stuff. There's a ton of World War Two comics. And gotcha. so you, you you have to have swastikas sort of – or they feel like they have to have swastikas to show them off and to sort of you know be like, here are the bad guys and stuff. This is – yeah, I got a, got a swastika yeah. and a hammer and sickle next to each other in our field of right. red, like very like, you know, whatever. Um, you know, it is one of those things where I, I feel like we, we see it less these days just because I know places are outlawing it. Like that's why you never see swastikas in like video games because you can't sell the game 
in Germany right. because of their yeah, laws they against just that. changed that law. Actually, I heard um, interesting because of Wolfen the last Wolfenstein yeah. game. There was like a huge. I guess they kind of like had like a big stink about it. I heard, and now they can play games with swastikas in them but like it has to be like highly rated or something yeah oh interesting i'm probably totally being misquoted at this point but (laughs) uh i that's what i heard from an article a while ago yeah (laughs) it's 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 interesting for sure i mean i remember like like working on video games they'd make a and sometimes they actually make two versions of the game one for like the america and one for europe with, mm-hmm. and, and, and all the swastikas would be like uh, iron crosses and stuff. Uh, like that. Oh yeah, they couldn't even give Hitler his mustache in in uh, <laughs> right. um, Wolfenstein. Was it the second one that just came, or whatever the one that just came out recently? Right, yeah. right. That's awesome. It, oh, you know these these things. You know, um, <laughs> inside there's a weird editorial by Steve McManus or by whoever claims to be Steve, I guess, split across two pages, and it's basically that Steve's bird has left him, and now he's got to deal with getting a new apartment and stuff. Oh, it's real tough. (laughs) (laughs) Letters include a dad that got um, hit, like a trick by some trick soap, and decided to, because of it, he had to go to a fancy dress party, so he went as blackjack, so I'm pretty sure he just sort of went blackface, which is real tough. (laughs) (laughs) Fancy dress party? I mean, that's what they call him in England, they call it a costume party. Over here. Oh, okay, okay. A uh, a letter calling action over. There's a letter calling action overly violent garbage, which I'm not sure is tongue in cheek, but definitely is in hindsight. There's no. an indoor <laughs> soccer game that broke several flower pots. A mousetrap misunderstanding. Um, action is being read by kids in school, and uh, this kid, this other kid's fish is scared of Hookjaw. And there's requests for Death Game to be in, in the annual. It will be. <laughs> there's also two pretty decent pictures of sharks. And the issue ends with more reader art, including a big group picture of an action of uh, all the action men and a mouse um, showing most of the cool action pictures. There's a big portrait of Al Rico, the death game biker, um, a death game biker and pictures of Hellman and Dredger. And then finally, a- um, action mouse goes to dive off a diving board. The board is so long. He gets tired before he jumps. And Money Man is Twitter of the Week, presumably for either not giving out money recently or not giving money to the kids that are writing in about him calling him a twit. That is how you become Twitter of the Week, definitely. Definitely. There's a maniacan invention of a dragster-powered multi-gardener, which will cut your grass, mash any pests, and just cut a dude's head off like straight up like a cantaloupe. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, that Uh, thing's straight up killing that guy. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um... Uh, the issue ends with a big ad, uh, ad for Trabor Land, which is a series of cartoony TV commercials and comic ads. And there's another blackface guy in this one too, which is just like you know, what do you do? What are you doing to me, England? This is tough. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of getting revenge with England, it's Story Five Hookjaw. Yes, I was waiting for this one. <laughs> Definitely, this one's the big one. Uh, writer uh, Pat Mills and Ken Armstrong, artist Roman Sola. New storyline for Hookjaw. The SS Manston is on its way from New York to London uh, and approaching the English Channel with a cargo full of gold bullion. Things are going real fine. Like the uh, captain makes the dreaded uh, the the, the uh, trips going real smoothly comment when suddenly a bunch of bad guys show up with rifles and take the place over. Oh, sorry, as a big storm is kicking up as well, I should mention. Uh, the bad guys try, you know, uh, take the sh- hijack the ship and try to open the cage to get the gold. But in the storm, the ship is tossed and hits some rocks and is about to sink. They got to get out of there. 
So the ship captains try to hold them off. They punch them off the side of the boat, into the water, and into the jaws of Hookjaw. He's back. (sighs) He's back, baby. (laughs) You can never miss him. The the hijackers pile into lifeboats and try to row off, but the place is swarming with sharks, including the massive head of Hookjaw, like big enough to swallow this boat whole pretty much. He eats a few of them, but then heads back to the nearby wrecked ship to eat the corpses there. And the leader of the hijackers, Jack Gunn, swears to get the gold out of the hold of that wrecked ship. If it's the last thing he does, and no one hookjaw, it will be. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack Gunn and his gang, they cover their tracks, prepare to get that gold. They st- they'll, they're going to steal some diving gear and a boat and go back out. They've heard of hookjaw, but surely he's out in the Caribbean, right? I like how they've heard of him. <laughs> He's, uh, I mean, he was just involved in, like, the massive, like, volcanic destruction of a tourist island, you know? Like, he's kind of famous, I guess. Man, the shark's intense. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but he, he should be in the, in the Caribbean, but he's followed warm water currents to England. He's now slowly eating his remains through the, uh, slowly eating his way through the remains of the ship. It's, the ship's like one of those dog treats that you like fill with peanut butter and the dog's kind of got to eat the peanut butter out of it, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. Do they roll it around to get the treats out? One yeah, of those things. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But like with, with people, you know? <laughs> but as he's doing this, suddenly he's swarmed by an attack of conger eels. Ah! The the deadly eels are biting onto Hookjaw. He tries to eat them, but even after he cuts them in half with his teeth, they still keep biting. He's forced to go to the seabed to get rid of them. Meanwhile, the RAF is also looking for the gold ship, and the race is on. They manage to find it and mark it with a flare, which seems to have scared off the sharks. Yeah, right? The crooks soon arrive at the ship also with diving gear and head down, despite the fact that one of the gang members, Hodges, has never been diving before. At the ship! They jimmy open the, sh- the sealed hatch, only to open it and find Hookjaw! He's <laughs> just inside it. <laughs> What's up, dudes? I'm a shark, you know? <laughs> of course I'm here. Yeah. Jeez. Candy Graham, yeah, yeah. Hookjaw attacks. He goes after new diver Har- um, Hodges, but another of the crook hits Hookjaw in his one good eye, which distracts the beast. Gun drags Hodges to safety, but then decides, eh. Things will be easier if Hookjaw has something to eat and does, just tosses them back into the water and straight into Hookjaw's <laughs> jaws. For Hodges. It's, really it's like, he didn't even want to go diving, you know? No, he made it out and he's like, oh, good, I'm out. No, <laughs> just throw him back in. <laughs> you know, it's hard. Um, they, they got it, like, the, and unfortunately, though, this just makes, the, makes Hookjaw hungrier and they got to get the hell out of there because Hookjaw doesn't just eat the boat whole, basically. <laughs> They're driving, but the boat's, but, but Hookjaw's faster than the boat, so instead they just toss a grenade at him and finally manage to escape. But back at the beach, the armies arrived and the crooks have been rumbled. Oh, they're all arrested and taken away. The army's going to check the wreck, but as a surveyor is being lowered into the sea. <laughs> From a helicopter, the fin of Hookjaw appears. <laughs> I can't wait to see the next one. I'm so excited about this. It really reminds <gasps> it, 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 like in my mind, it, it, it conjures uh, my favorite. One of my favorite, a uh, terrible sci-fi movies, uh, Sharktopus, which is about a shark that's merged with an octopus and it kills everybody. I have to, I have to watch it. Oh, it's worth a look for sure. But um, 
definitely someone goes bungee jumping and as they bungee jump sharktopus jumps out of the water and and, yes. and, and, and eats them and just the bungee <laughs> line goes back up it's real awesome <laughs> that's great and speaking of a uh, hang in precarious positions it's story six kids rule okay uh, writer chris ladder artist mike white oh man so this is the the new kid on the block and kind of what gets action uh um canceled one way or another <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> i but can so, see why yeah but so you missed the opening of this one i think but basically it's the distant future the year 1986 and most of the world's adults have died in a plague and because of that the kids uh the the, the, the surviving kids have formed roving street bait gangs of toughs and one as you do yeah i mean always listen like when I was a kid, it was I was I was definitely one uh, apocalypse away from forming a gang with all my friends. You know? <laughs> <laughs> one such group is uh, Ray Spencer's Malvern Mob, based out of Malvern Road Secondary School. But it's bad times because they're under attack from a bunch of bikers, and many of these bikers seem very grown up to be under nineteen. They got like mustaches I and stuff like that. I was concerned about that the first time. I yeah. was like, man, these kids are taking hormones. It might be a something. side effect of the plague or something like that. But yeah. yeah, that's true. I mean, the guy right in the front, like he has like almost full facial hair. Yeah, it was way more than anybody I knew. But what? I mean, I don't know. It's we've got to, at some point you're just a biker, and maybe maybe the facial hair drives you to biking. You know, you, you kind of got one of those Lemmy from Motorhead like uh, mustache things, and you're like, well, oh, I can see that. Guess I got to start biking. You know. <laughs> wake up one day look in the mirror whoa yeah yeah i'm just start biking i guess yeah it's like a it's like spider-man waking up with a six-pack you know yeah <laughs> but so they're uh, they're bursting through the front doors they're like trying to power up the stairs into the school and stuff but the kids there have, have some imp- have some home alone style improvised traps namely just kind of dropping desks and benches on the oncoming bikers and stuff the bikers, unfortunately, have less improvised weapons, namely a bunch of rifles and shotguns. There's a deadly melee between bikes, bikers and Malverns as the kid and the kids start trying to erect barricades to keep the bikers away. A lot of barricades in the, in, in, in the later half of, uh, of action this episode. Um, mm-hmm. But they, the barricades do manage to give the, ki- the kids time to plan a defense. They rush to the school's chemistry lab and dump a bunch of chemicals onto a nearby mattress then throw that down at the bikers. The bikers, of course, unimpressed by this until the mattress is hit by a lighter and then bursts into flames. Yeah, that was awesome. Real that was clever. Yeah, definitely good imagery here. It's just a ton of kids just like engulfed in flames. Like, ah! <laughs> like, okay, putting aside the fact that they are children burning alive, I uh, really love the artwork when it comes to fire over top of other characters. Um, definitely. You know, visuals like just looks really good when you do that yeah light in the background totally and i don't feel too bad man if these kids didn't want to get burned to death they shouldn't have like tried to attack (laughs) someone else's school that's ridiculous (laughs) but things seem settled um but suddenly but as the malverns think they're safe a biker with a shotgun appears in the window um he's on a ladder and the kids are out of ammo but they can still, but the, even if the guns are out of ammo, they can still be thrown. One of these classic, uh, you know, shoot you out of ammo, they just throw the gun at the guy kind of situations. Yeah, I love that. Definitely. <laughs> this uh, knocks the, the kid on the ladder off and they're able to use a bench as a battering ram to knock the biker off his ladder. 
They then pull the ladder up after them, after him, although with it, a second biker that's holding on to the edge of it and kind of gets pulled up with them. The bikers tell their boss, like, man, we've just, like, this is taking a lot of time. A bunch of our guys have burned to death. We just leave these guys alone and get out of here, you know? Biker's like, no way, we keep fighting. He's got a primitive sense of honor, you know? I've got to mm-hmm. fight these guys to the death, I guess. Um, <laughs> but whatever, they try to go... Um, the, the bikers uh, charge charge again, and the kids throw even more like um, um, or they, sorry, the bikers charge again, and they throw the bot, thinking that the uh, Malverns will be distracted, beating up their buddy. They pulled up the ladder, but no, they use him as a battering ram, just throw him straight at the attacking bikers. Oh, I've been hit by your own guy. <laughs> <laughs> Improvised weapon, indeed. Yeah, the uh, so the bikers. Tired of frontal assaults, instead start setting, setting fire to the first floor of the school, and the kids are in trouble, but they realize they can use that ladder they pulled up to get to a nearby, to, to another building and escape. They use it as, like, a bridge, basically. It's, it's pretty cool how they do it. They, like, use a rope to, like, steady the front of the ladder as they sort of uh, put it from their, from their building to one nearby, and they sort of buy time for doing this by having all the girls in their group, like, scream like they're all burning alive and stuff, so the bikers are just sort of like, ah, yes, we've been successful. That was good. These kids are all super smart, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, they kind of, they, they can put it together. They've been forced to survive, you know, plus all the dumb kids die early. These are sort of That's true. Cream, <laughs> cream of the, uh, of the uh, we've had the four gangs and survive after the apocalypse crop here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they all cross the bridge. The last two are gang leaders, Ray Spencer and Mick Ro- and, and Mick Roker. But as the um, but as they go and the ladder's starting to bend over the heat of the inferno below them, Mick makes a play. He kicks Ray off the ladder, pulls a knife as he hangs suspended from it, gonna cut off his fingers. Oh no, it's real bad. Luckily, Mick starts monologuing because he's evil, and that yep. gives Ray time to think. He, like, kicks Mick through the ladder. Or, sorry, yeah. Ray kicks Mick through the ladder and makes him drop his knife, but then just falls anyway because, you know, it's pretty easy to make someone let go of a ladder if you're sort of in that situation. As he falls, though, he grabs that rope that they use to steady the ladder as they cross the building and uses it to swim to safety away from the fire and rejoins the gang. Quick thinking. I don't know if that would have worked, though. (laughs) <laughs> oh no oh my gosh i definitely okay what is he two stories up yeah. i don't think he's got enough time to grab that rope and that would really hurt yeah like one way or, yeah one way or another you're you're, you're you're you've got rope burns and bad ankles like all your ends are bad you know <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't he, really have that far to fall either yeah he's it's doing okay good. it's fine whatever he meets up with the rest of the gang as they move Oops. out Despite uh, uh, my favorite character, Benny, saying they should go kick those bikers' asses despite not having ammo for their guns and stuff. He's this kid who's got a, who's got a bat and always hits people with that bat. I appreciate his moxie. <laughs> so, <laughs> but they're like, man, like, listen, the school was fine, but it's all burnt out now. There's no reason to stay here. We've got all of London to, like, you know, be a youth gang in. So they decide to head out and find a new place. And they're going to try to avoid danger by going through the subway tubes. They head down to the rail station. There's actually kind of a fun um, image of just a bunch of kids sort of like, you know, with flashlights streaming down this dark uh, subway station, you know, sliding on the banisters and stuff like that, which is good. I don't know. To me, it's good. Like uh, just just kids in the apocalypse sort of stuff, I guess. Yeah. Like there aren't adults to tell them what to do. So they're just kind of being rowdy. Um 
But when they get to like the railway and of course, and every, you know, make sure to mention that there's no third rail to fry them or whatever because, you know, the, the electricity is all out because the apocalypse. And they go to head in, into the underground using their, uh, their, their flashlights and torches or, you know, torches are flashlights, I guess, but whatever. They, they head in there when suddenly some more lights appear. It's the cops! <laughs> or at least like some surviving young police cadets. They and, look like cops. <laughs> I mean, they got cop uniforms, I guess. And they got, also got, got a, got a billy clubs like cops. They're trunching everybody left and right. And they beat up our heroes and now they're taking them to meet the chief. <gasps> Super ominous. Next time, law and order at last. That's what you think. <laughs> or what's what you think. But I feel like that's just sort of a translation problem. Um, anyway. <laughs> Interesting stuff. I love the uh, the the image of just the, uh, the the ladder going over the fire and stuff like that. That that's really neat. I really a lot of so some of these things remind me of like post apocalyptic zombie scenarios too, and I really like that too because I was a big zombie fan for oh, a long yeah. time. Yeah. So uh, no, until like the Walking Dead series like, took up a big portion of that and then <laughs> kind of ruined it. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely know what you mean. I mean. Th- all this stuff that's happening now is the stuff that happens in like The Walking Dead or other sort of zombie stories. It's just there's no greater threat of um, also zombies, you know? Because mm-hmm. that's yeah. what it feels like in Walking Dead. So much of that show is is like dealing with other like, you know, bands of, sur- of, uh, of survivors. Right. I do love that concept of dealing with other survivors. But when it comes to yeah. um, you know, series is. Yeah. yeah. This is not a place to have a referendum on the Walking yeah, Dead. I, 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 I agree with what you're saying. I'm just saying, yeah, that that Kids Rule OK is basically a zombie story without the zombies. You know? And it's doing a great job. Yeah, real fun. Um, yeah, get, getting everything canceled. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of almost getting things canceled and roving bands of kids, actually, it's <laughs> Story 7, Look Out for Lefty. Writer Tom Tully, artist Barry Mitchell, and Tony Harding. All right, football. Uh, rookie football player Kenny Lefty Lampton is checking on his old granddad and finding out that his dad's bought a ton of, like, crappy old paintings, basically. <laughs> like, this is a weird thing that happens from time to time to look out for Lefty. His dad, his, his granddad runs, like, a pawn shop or, so, or a pawn shop slash junk shop. And so occasionally he just buys, like, huge masses of junk in the hopes of selling them somehow. But it, Heck it, yeah. You know, it's a it's an interesting idea, but it never works out for them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> as as Lefty's yelling at his granddad, people start running like there's a natural disaster coming, and it, it's and it's the Rotherfield Rippers, a gang of like soccer hooligans, just running roughshod through the whole area, smashing things up. They like you know mess up with a fruit stand and stuff, and then head over to Lefty's shop to break all their stuff. Uh, Lefty goes to stop them, though. He pulls a fencing saber, saber out of a golf bag full of swords, which just seems extremely awesome, and then yes. fences, fences them about for a bit. And before they can, like, take him out, the uh, toughs get hit by a hail of billiard balls that rains down on them. And it's his Lefty's granddad, like, defending him as well. Oh, they, they get yeah. along. It's okay. <laughs> um, they fight the thugs off until the cops arrive, and then Lefty heads to the stadium, and he leaves Gramps waiting there to defend the place with, like, a full-on blunderbuss. Like, he sits in an easy, easy chair. 
He's just gonna shoot him. <laughs> I mean, listen, like you know, if if if, if hooligans enter your store, like it seems reasonable, you know. Plus, like, I wonder how deadly, like one of those one of those like blunderbusses, like one of those like rifles with like the big like uh, trumpet bell at the end, mm-hmm. <laughs> like how deadly those actually are versus like I don't know, really hurting or something. I mean, I mean, it's got one shot, and that's all it takes. As long as you're good, that's true. Let's hope Granddad can handle it. At, a, at the Wigford Stadium, lefty's put on the first team because we saw last episode uh, his rival, Ray Jarvis, hurt his foot because he dropped some scales on it when he was hassling lefty because lefty also like had some weights that like his granddad was making him deliver to somebody. Um, so lefty's now on, on the senior like full team and he's going out to have his, his first game, which is pretty cool. Things are looking good at warm-ups, but suddenly he sees that in the crowd, it's those Rippers! They're soccer hooligans for the opposing team, and it promises to be a rough game for Lefty. The game starts with the Rafferfield team playing real hard. Lefty gets a, a, a real hard tackle at the start of the game, barely dodges a bottle being thrown from, um, at his head from the stands, which is like the second time this happened and look out for Lefty. But yeah. now that's being done to him instead of one of his rivals. Ooh, it's bad, you know, whatever. <laughs> but um, and he Le- gets stopped. Yeah, Lefty goes to throw the bottle back, but he stopped because pros have to set an example. Basically, they can't like engage with the uh, with the hooligans. Yeah, you're in the public eye now, kid. Yeah, see, on the, um on the free <laughs> kick, Lefty shoots the ball up the crossbar. Then gets a pass off the rebound, and another guy um. And, and, and it's a pass and goes to shoot when one comes from the stands. There's a firecracker at his feet, searing his flesh. Whoa. <laughs> As, like, the, the, the trainer hits him with a magic spray, um, Lefty lets slip that he had a confrontation with the uh, Rotherfield Ripper fans earlier, or the Rotherfield Rippers, those fans, earlier in the day. And the trainer realizes that's why he's being singled out. The uh, At the half, the uh, – or sorry – yeah, at the half, the, uh, the the team manager goes to talk to Lefty about all this, where there's suddenly a fire in the stands, and he's got to go check it out. And the trainer kind of tells Lefty not to go fully aggro on these guys, and Lefty's like, listen, I've had enough. I've got this chance, and I'm going to prove myself by God like crazy fans or not. Uh, and so the, 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 the trainer lets him go out and do that. He's you know inspired by his impassioned speech. But he knows that the the manager comes back and says that he wants Lefty taken out. And while the sub hasn't warmed up, it means Lefty has 10 minutes to prove himself or he's out of the game. <laughs> so, real tense. Mm-hmm. Um, another bottle heads Lefty's way because it seems that the Rippers are able to f- fade into the crowd after an attack so the cops can't find them. But this gives Lefty an idea. As, as play starts, he gets the ball and runs over to the Rippers' new base in the West Terraces and just kind of hangs around in front of them, juggling the ball as they rain garbage and stuff down on him, which is pretty crazy. And he, just, and he dodges it all while looking yeah, the other way, too. <laughs> definitely. He smoothly dodges just this, like, torrent of, of, of trash that's thrown at him. Like, the, the, the other team is like, hey, you should go get the ball from him. He's like, I'm not going into that. It's a war zone. Um, but this keeps the Rippers in place long enough for the cops to show up and arrest them or basically take them away. And so now things can play a lot smoother or it would be. But the danger isn't just in the stand as Lefty takes a diving tackle. The Roth- Rutherford team themselves are pretty tough. No, it's heating up. It's real bad. He gets another free kick. But this time with no distractions, he's able to bend it around into the goal. He scores. Score! Goal! 
Soon after, he takes another shot and scores a second time. And this t- at, th- at this point, there's no way you can take him out of the game because he scored so many points. So Lefty's here to stay. He's on the team. Yeah. But two of the Rippers, now outside of the stadium, escape from the cops and steal and steal a pair of motorcycles. They're going back to Lefty's place. And when they're done with it, it'll look like a slum in Coronation Street. Oh, no. Yeah. I think that's like a TV reference. I don't know. I tried to look at Coronation know. Street slums and just got a lot of articles about gentrification, so I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, those, uh, they're, um, they're about to find out what's going to happen when they come face-to-face with a blunderbuss. I'm ready. I'm so ready. <laughs> yeah. Again, fun. You know, I don't know. I always love sports stuff just because it's so different than anything else I've seen in like American comics. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always kind of interesting just sort of having the drama of, of, of a soccer game also be the drama of the comic, you know definitely yeah and speaking of enraged gangs it's story eight hellman on the russian front uh writer jerry finley day artist mike dory german panzer commander major kurt hellman has been tasked with holding the city of ozel with a cadre of penal soldiers soldiers that have been like arrested for something and are now sort of in a prison legion he only has one king panzer or king tiger tank and a few Russian, uh, stolen Russian tanks. They filled the street with debris, and Hellman hopes to hold the city. But the Russians are sending in shock troops to dislodge them. That night, Hellman wanders the city. He, like, dumps water on troops to keep them on guard duty and all that stuff. As the shock troopers make their way through the city, garroting people as they go, putting on German helmets and pretending to be German soldiers. <laughs> that one guy in the first panel really wants to garrot people. <laughs> He's like just shaking his garrot at everybody. We gotta do it. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Let's just let's yeah. get him. <laughs> As Hellman sort of walks the city, like checks in with like his soldiers and stuff, and one of them responds very like like Oh yes, like of course I'm awake, uh, Major Hellman. A uh, 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 a German happily stays awake at his post. And Hellman's like, my penal troops aren't like that. Like, they're all losers. What the heck's going on here? You know? He immediately twigs the fact that, like, they're being attacked by infiltrators, basically. I like how Hellman just knows he holds the whole whole group up by himself. I mean, oh, yeah. He does. I mean, like, in the last, the last time we saw him, he had to, like, uh, kick the crap out of these guys just to, just to get them to follow him at all, you know? Um, like literally like like he beat them up like using the tank and stuff like that was pretty excellent um <laughs> but so he 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 sneakily gathers up the rest of his troops and when these shock troopers attack they just attack a bunch of dummies oh <laughs> so then the german tanks roll in themselves and blow those russians away the shock troopers die with shock on their faces oh geez but that's not all wow. the russians have they got more bullets in their gun as they launch a massive missile attack at the city. As the missiles rain down, a hand waves Hellman to a doorway. But as he goes, he almost walks into a pair of garroting wires that have been strung across that doorway. A booby trap! (gasps) There's a traitor in his mists. He managed to avoid (laughs) these wires and heads down to the cellar where um, a bunch of his troops are hiding. But one of them is a traitor. Why would somebody ever turn on Hellman? Oh man, I can't believe! I think some of these Nazis might be evil. Um, rockets, ra- 
Rockets rain down <laughs> on Ozil as the Germans shelter in the basement, and Hellman plays cards with the toughest of the convicts, his own tank crew. <laughs> Suddenly, the other uh, rockets stop. But now the Russian infantry is moving in. They, the, the Germans go to fight them. They use the tanks like bulldozers to build hasty barricades. And as the Russians charges, as the Russians charge, the gun of Hellman's tank t- uh, Panzer breaks, and he and his men have to repair it real fast. Um, but before they can, the Russians are in hand-to-hand range. Uh, as the gun is fixed, as fixed, Hellman grabs some shells from the eighty-eight cannon and uses them to fight the uh, to fight the oncoming Russians. Just yeah. smash, smashing them with big tank shells and stuff. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, the Germans are fighting with stones and stolen rifles when finally the cannon is fixed and managed to fire a shell that takes down the, the rest of the oncoming Russians. The Germans still hold the streets, but at great cost, only 10 survive, which doesn't seem like enough to hold the city, to be honest. Mm, I mean, but Hellman's there. He's like also 10 it's on t- his own. Yeah, he's like, uh, yeah, he like multiplies whoever he fights with by 100, I think. Um, <laughs> Hellman radios in and asks for permission to run. He gets it, but he has to hold for one more day for when the first snow comes. Hellman, worried that they will make it that day, takes precautions. And that night, at the poker game, Hellman's deals in and draws the Ace of Spades, the card of death. <sighs> Although... Uh... As a nerd, I wish it'd been aces over eight, which is the dead man's hand, but whatever. Um, <laughs> as he looks at his cards, the uh, uh, trooper Schwarz bayonets him in the back. Oh, no. Hellman keels over and Schwarz says they're leaving now and leaving Hellman's body behind for the Russians. Oh, another one of these death, uh, death cliffhangers. Hellman's dead. Schwarz says uh. they should go. But then Hellman rises. He's alive. <gasps> Schwarz goes to shoot him, but it doesn't have any effect because Helm's wearing a steel jacket made of panzer plating. <laughs> you would think when he stabbed him that he would have known that it was steel plating. <laughs> yeah, it, like you know, you hear like a plank or something. But you know, he's uh, he's he's missed it. He's too busy with the adrenaline of killing Helman to worry about fine details. I guess. So, nah, well, you know, <laughs> whatever. The prisoners turn on Schwarz, and one of them picks him up and throws him over the barricade into the waiting arms of the Russians. That's what you get, you dirty traitor. <laughs> yeah. The siege continues as the Russians erect loudspeakers to broadcast the sounds of Schwarz being tortured, and the Russian secret police troops have arrived. The NKVD! <sighs> They're terrifying. As the snow falls, Hellman grabs a sniper rifle and goes to put Schwarz out of his misery. He follows the he goes to the loudspeaker and then tries to follow its wire to its source an NKVD NKVD trooper attacks him and he uses that wire to like pull the loudspeaker down on his head to knock him out which I thought was pretty good 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 use of wires it looked um, like he was going to club him with his gun instead of shoot him <laughs> yeah but then you know so, well he's he, he's trying to be stealthy as well you know so he can't uh, okay. like shoot anybody at this point um <laughs> He goes to this transmitter truck and sees that Schwarz isn't being tortured. It's just a recording. So he shoots the, a bottle of vodka on the transmitter because, yeah, it's Russians. You know, there's going to be vodka <laughs> there, I guess. Um, that disables the, uh, the transmitter and he takes out the guys in the truck and then climbs aboard in time to hide as a uh, Russian assault force comes with tanks and troops. And in the lead tank of the assault... Oh, it's that Schwarz guy. He's turned traitor. That's bastard. That dastard. Yeah. The, uh, 
the men are quickly captured and taken prisoner and a full-on like medieval executioner with an axe and a hood suddenly appears to kill them all which i didn't even yeah i I didn't know that was a thing in soviet russia but that's what i was gonna say (laughs) i'm glad it's there though like i'm all for it (laughs) (laughs) only hellman is still free as the russians fan out to find him can hellman survive the search We'll find out next time. And oh man, with that cliffhanger, Zane, we've finished this these issues of action thirty four to thirty six. Oh man, that was intense. <laughs> there's some, you know, there's some real fun stuff in here. You know, I really um, always dig all this action stuff. There's some real good stories going on for sure. Um, oh yeah, can't wait till this continues for the next however many years, right? In this yeah. great action time where it's all just all this blood and death and gore just <laughs> continues on. You know, it's gonna be great. Can't yeah. wait. One more issue of real action, but the soul burns forever. You know, <laughs> it tears the soul from it. Yeah, but as always, I have one question for you, which is, what were your top and bottom thrills? All right. So it was a little difficult to kind of pick and choose because a lot of them felt really similar in tone and uh, variety. Like they all have their they all have their plus sides for sure. Um, But I would say my top was kids rule. Okay, nice. Uh, um, I really liked how they improvised how the combat and stuff like that was really clever and how they it was just a zero sum situation uh, towards the end. It's like, we got to escape. We got to get out of here. This is what we're doing. And they did a really good job just going from bit to bit without doing any skipping. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. They, 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 they didn't manage to really tie everything together as make this a, a more serial comic than some of the other ones in, in action. Yeah. And then, um, I guess my bottom just because of context reasons, I suppose would be, um, death game, 1999 mm. and not that it's bad, or anything like that but it's it was um it was just because like i didn't really understand spinball and it didn't seem like they were really focusing on spinball no but more focusing on just like what's going on with the main character and it was just kind of like jumping into like a little portion of it and i feel like there's just a lot i'm not getting just yeah. from these three issues. Yeah, definitely. This one has a very, like, like, like setting up the next big story sort of part in it, which can be tough with these short ones because it's very much like just, all right, we're establishing some things, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, there's no, there's no spinball and like you really want that, that action that makes it kind of fun, I think. That's really where, yeah. where spinball shined, I think, where there's just blood on the ice, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. what I was hoping for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can certainly appreciate that. So, uh, what about you? Oh, man. Top. And bottom. Yes, it must be asked. It must be known. Um, <laughs> for my bottom, I'm going to say uh, probationers. My bottom. Um, okay. Uh, it's kind of similarly, like I don't know these these like good guy forced to do something through blackmail stories don't really kind of work. I don't know. I I don't like them that much. I guess like I just feel like there's other options than just doing what this mm-hmm. kind of incompetent crook is is always ordering you around for. I can agree for um, sure. So this one kind of left me cold, like it just like especially just because like Clem doesn't even really seem like a very good criminal, you know. So it just seems real bad that Dave's just completely cowed by him, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then for my top, whew, I'm gonna say Hookjaw, buddy. 
Oh, you know, right. gotta do it. You know, <laughs> um, I'm really interested in this new story. Like, I'm uh, like just um, the fact that it's theoretically now hooked. Like, I, I loved it being Hookjaw versus criminals, but that it's shaping up to be mm-hmm. Hookjaw versus the army has really got me really excited. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm interested to see how it goes. I really like how Hookjaw has this like like helix of a story where like it's focusing on one antagonist and then the other antagonist, i.e. Hookjaw, and then they kind of join together and then they separate and then they yeah. join together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I yeah, really yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah. Sometimes you're on Hookjaw's side, but even then he'll still probably eat you if he gets a chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited for this, uh, for this version of Hookjaw and I, you know, like even if they don't get to it, just the promise of Hookjaw, like I don't know, swimming up the Thames and like you know, eating someone in the sewer or something like that. Just really, I'm really excited. I'm really excited I can't about the wait idea to. I, mean, I can't wait to go back and reread this from the beginning. Def- uh, yeah, I mean, Hookjaw is really the pride of action. I'd say Hookjaw and Dredger are really the, the 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 top two for me. There's actually a collection of just Hookjaw. That's been oh. printed. That's definitely worth your time. Oh, I'm going rebellion. to look into that. Yeah, it's all in one place. Get these. Get this shark action. Count out the deaths. You know, good time. Yeah, yeah. All <laughs> right. And hey, I, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Uh, feel free to contact spacebitter2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter at spacebitter2k. Everything else, look up spacebitter2000. We should be there. Zane, where can you be found on the internet if you would like to be found? Uh, well, I, I occasionally post on my Instagram page, Zane and Cats, and then I started another one called, uh, Gambare Anime-san, where I take Ooh. pictures of really bad photo, uh, really bad drawings that are in the backgrounds of anime, <laughs> and I just post them on Instagram. Awesome. So. Okay. That, that sounds really great. I'll, <laughs> I'll link to those in the, uh, in, in the episode info. That, that's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> cool. All right. Come back next time. As we're reaching the end of Space Spinner Reaction, this time we'll be discussing the Action Summer Special, which has some interesting stories, and we'll be joined by a very special guest host, Fox from Space Spinner 2000! Oh, worlds are colliding! (laughs) Until then, I'm Conrad, there's Zane, and we are Space Spinner Reaction! Splunging for free!